The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Squawk Box. Let's kick off with the latest Chinese data. Holiday spending in China driving a surge in services activity while factory growth easing amid rising costs. Meanwhile, the Bridgewater Associates boss Ray Dalio telling CNBC the Chinese yuan will continue to grow as a dominant global currency, depending, of course, on Beijing's ambitions. I think you're going to see the renminbi become a more significant, a strong currency, stable currency, um, more attractive returning currency, and also a more widely used currency um, in, you know, in the years ahead. Asia markets trade mainly lower as investors digest China's manufacturing data and look ahead to U.S. non-farm payrolls numbers this week after weekly jobless claims fall to their lowest in over a year. Meanwhile, everyone in France will be eligible for COVID vaccines starting today as the country looks to claw back from a first-quarter double-dip recession. Israeli opposition leaders strike a deal that could spell the end of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's 12 years in charge. Morning, everybody. Let's kick off then with a look at this Chinese data because it continues to give us issues to ponder here about the shape of the Chinese recovery and what that actually means in terms of interpreting the kind of reopening we'll continue to get in Western economies as we get on top of the pandemic. So the headlines here, ultimately, Chinese factory activity slowing in the month of May as the services sector recorded its 15th straight month of growth. The country's official manufacturing purchasing managers index then uh, slowing to 51 point zero in the month, missing expectations. But as you look at the other data points here, the non-manufacturing PMI continues to show expansion and the composite PMI then 54.2, anything over 50 of course is expansion, still looks in relatively healthy condition. But what does this manufacturing number easing off the gas slightly tell us then about the state of China's manufacturing sector and how it's responding to new orders coming from the United States and other Western markets? Sam is with us to give us some interpretation of how important this latest data point is. Sam, very good morning to you. Um, just walk us through this then. Why do we need to be worried or otherwise about the manufacturing data? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, it's fairly interesting because while the factory activity was down and the services sector activity was up, economists have certainly said that doesn't tell us too much about a rebalancing towards a consumer-led recovery just yet. And that's because if you look at the breakdown as to why we got to these numbers, that manufacturing PMI, that factory activity, did see rising costs of raw materials at their highest level since 2010, adding to this upstream price pressure 
on these producers and particularly at the smaller companies. So we are still looking uh, at an uneven picture here in terms of that total new orders slowed while those new export orders also fell into contraction territory. That perhaps was because of a strengthening yuan, but also as we are seeing this global recovery. But uh, companies also continued to shed workers. Now, we do need to factor in that this was a shortened month because of that Labor Day holiday that we had at the start of May. But certainly Chinese policymakers have still said that the foundations of this economic recovery haven't quite stabilised yet as we are seeing this pandemic continuing and also those higher commodity prices. And that is what's largely weighing uh, on the factory activity in China and did for the month of May. Now, activity in the services sector did accelerate in May. This was largely, as you pointed out, because of holiday-driven uh, uh, consumer pickup. A lot of people obviously catching planes and trains and staying in hotels. And that uh, pickup on the consumption side of things did ca- help those at retail uh, catering and entertainment uh, numbers. Now, of course, the data that we did get today looks at the bigger and state-owned firms. So we will be getting the Taishin Manufacturing PMI out tomorrow for a broader picture of how these smaller and private firms did in the month of May. We know they've been harder hit. In terms of what analysts are expecting, uh, those that were polled by Reuters are expecting to see a slowdown in the pace of that growth as well, which would certainly be consistent with the official numbers that we got today. But we will also be getting that services sector PMI out later in the week uh, on Thursday. And the devil will be in the detail there as well because, of course, we do know that employment and job creation uh, is a very big focus for the government at the moment. And while the official data showed improvement when it came to employment in May, this still was in contraction. Now, of course, we do know that manufacturing has largely been supportive of this economic uh, recovery so far, but we do expect, and certainly economists have been saying, that we will see a cool down as things start to normalise and other economies do open up towards the end of the year. And so economists have said that really it is that services sector data that will be key uh, this month. And certainly when it comes to those employment numbers as well, if those companies, those smaller and private firms in the services sector do employ more workers in the month of May, uh, and that is because that will be a good gauge of where the economy and this recovery uh, is going and whether it is evening out in terms uh, of those growth factors. Uh, Now, of course, we do need to keep in mind that uh, these readings are still comfortably above that 50 mark that does separate expansion from contraction. Uh, But certainly when it comes to the factory activity, we know the higher commodity prices have certainly caught the attention of Chinese policymakers. And I suppose the beauty of a command economy is that we've now uh, seen Beijing really stepping in to try to rein in what they call these unreasonable price hikes and try to prevent any pass-through to the Chinese Chinese consumer, which certainly it wouldn't want, as we do know that consumption uh, still remains a bit of a challenge. And so we have uh, seeing Beijing and the regulators coming out and speaking to some of these key commodity uh, players uh, about maintaining this uh, normal market order. Guys, back to you in London. Yeah, and Sam, let's talk a bit about the currency here because we kick off uh, the programme this morning with that wonderful exclusive that Christine has with Ray Dalio, of course. And when uh, Mr Dalio speaks, everybody has to listen. And he's been talking about um, more general use of the yuan and whether the Chinese will be prepared to perhaps ease up control on the currency to make it more ubiquitous. 
But they do seem to be concerned about the level. We've already seen, what, not far from 2% gain so far in May against the dollar. Alongside the commodities price spike, there does seem to be some concern within official channels about speculation in the currency and this appreciation with even a, a former PBOC director head uh, talking about this will only be a short, short-term spike. To what extent is this uh, causing some uh, concern in Beijing, Sam? Well, just a few weeks ago, we did have a PBOC official in the the finance research department talking uh, about this and talking about, uh, you know, perhaps not uh, having too much control over uh, the appreciation of the yuan if it does want Beijing does want this to be an international currency, but uh, Beijing was quick to step in uh, and to try to alleviate any of these concerns by saying that this uh, will be maintained and this has been uh, how we've done things for a number of years. We have seen, of course, the um, yuan strengthening in recent weeks and we've certainly uh, seen that uh, having uh, some benefit in terms of Chinese shares, in terms of those uh, foreign inflows into uh, the mainland market. Certainly, uh, as far as uh, commodities are concerned and also uh, trade when it comes to China, we've seen an appreciation of the yuan before that didn't uh, seem to have too much of an effect uh, on any of those uh, imports, uh, all those exports. As we do know, uh, the demand out of China has uh, remained relatively strong. uh, But uh, certainly, as we do start to see an opening up uh, of the global economy, uh, that may be something that... uh, authorities in the PBOC uh, will start to look at uh, much more seriously. Guys, back to you. Terrific. Sam, thanks so much for that. Uh, We'll catch up with you a little bit later on in the programme. Well, on that interview that Jeff was just talking about, China's yuan will become the world's reserve currency sooner than many expect. That's according to billionaire investor Ray Dalio. Speaking exclusively to CNBC's Christine Tan, the Bridgewater Associates founder gave his outlook for the renminbi. The Chinese have intentionally uh, not uh, pushed that issue for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right now, uh, China is the world's largest trading. They do more trading in the world, their export import, than any other uh, country. And they've intentionally not billed in renminbi, and even in terms of the lending, it's not in their local in cur- local currency. The capacity to do that ex- exists, um, and the, the global set of circumstances favor the internationalization of the renminbi, um, making uh, more trade and more uh, financial transactions denominated that as well as uh, opening uh, that up. So on the margin, I think you're going to see the renminbi become a more significant, a a strong currency, a stable currency, um, more attractive returning currency, and also a more widely used currency um, in in the years ahead. If you had to give a time frame on when China could be that global reserve currency, what would it be? Well, I think incrementally it'll happen faster probably than most people expect. But I think you, it, it, there's not a point. It, it, it's what does it constitute its percentage? Right now, you know, it's about 2%. Um, um, I think um, 
you could be, let's say, over 10 or 15 percent in mm, five to 10 years, you know, somewhere I'd, in that kind of way. But it probably happened faster than we expect. A lot has to do not just with what China does. It has to do with what the dollar does. You can see more from Christian's exclusive interview with Ray Dalio. He talks about the digital yuan, its place relative to cryptocurrency, a fascinating piece that is going to air June 25th at 11 a.m. CET. So look out for that. Now, in terms of U.S. labor, weekly jobless claims in the U.S. have dropped to a 14-month low as the world's largest economy continues to recover from the pandemic. Only 406,000 Americans applied for state unemployment benefits. This was the fourth straight week of declines in applications, but many sectors say they are suffering from labor shortages. 23 Republican-led states have said they would end federally funded unemployment programs next month, including the $300 weekly subsidy. Attention will be on the U.S. jobs data again on Friday when the Labor Department releases non-farm payrolls for the month of May. Last month's number fell far short of expectations, with only 266,000 new jobs added. A Reuters poll is forecasting an increase of five of 650,000 this month. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Juliana. And you point out the non-farm payrolls is going to be a big story for the week, but we don't really uh, get that till the end of the week. So there's going to be a lot of anticipation and a lot of looking ahead to that. Obviously, we had the PCE um, as we came out of uh, trading last week. And I think that just confirmed for a lot of people that there are these pricing pressures in the system. But I think the argument is still very much in the market over whether it's transitory or whether these pricing pressures are going to be here to stay. As we come to close out the month, though, as you can see, we just about managed to crawl over the line as far as the S&P 500 uh, and the Nasdaq are concerned. The Dow putting in a slightly uh, better performance here. In terms of um, uh, what we'll uh, need to see then uh, for some of those um, market performances this week. I think one of the other stories, it's just worth highlighting, and I'll look at this a bit later on, but it is an OPEC week as well. Well, we'll look at that uh, supply uh, constraint story at this point and argue or discuss whether there's likely to be higher oil prices coming through and what the impact of that could be on the economy. I just wanted to have a quick look. I asked the producer this morning just to throw the VIX in here because I do notice that... um, Uh, There are some comments uh, floating around about how investors are going back to the trade that was somewhat fashionable last year. And you'll remember this one. It was the expectation that ultimately we would see volatility in the market calm down and that we'd have some of the upside risk taken out of the VIX and market volatility. And this would be ultimately played through the uh, pro shares, short VIX, short term futures contract, the message being that the amount of money that's finding its way into that particular trade has escalated over the last six months. I think as investors, professional investors, have largely come to the view that this is maybe not quite Goldilocks, but there's certainly nothing out there at the moment that is going to challenge the uh, growing uh, flow into risk assets that we've seen, particularly from the retail community. Uh, and that ultimately will continue to support markets and to dampen out some of the volatility. What about Asia? I could witter on about this all day. 
and I would if you allowed me to, but I know we've got to move on because there are so many more good stories that we've got to cover. But Asia, just a little bit ho-hum on the back of, well, a couple of things, I suspect. One is uh, the market in Asia probably looking for sources of direction, given that we've got holidays for the UK and the United States today. They don't like the fact, I think, that the Chinese currency is strengthening and the authorities are beginning to react to that. And when you see a former PBOC official, I think you always get the sense that someone has just nudged them to step up and say something because that way uh, they can put across a message from the administration without it actually having to go through official channels and be, you know, an official position on the books. We all know how this game works. Let's have a look at Bitcoin. If we can just show you what's going on with the cryptos this morning. Um, Bitcoin continues to just sit around this 34,000 level. Uh, Again, it's another market that feels like it's waiting for a catalyst for some direction as we come out of the blocks this Monday morning. But I suspect it's going to be a little bit suppressed in terms of activity, as are some of these other um, uh, measures, just because we have these two major markets out of the action today, Juliana. Thanks so much, Jeff. Well, for a look at some of the stocks Bank of America expects to get a boost from the recovery, you can head to our website. That is CNBC.com. Coming up on the program, we're going to have a look at some of the key market trends in May, including a weak month for the NASDAQ. But will there be some rotation back into the techs if we don't see more drama around the jobs numbers? Uh, We will talk some more about that. And for more on why billionaire investor Ray Dalio believes demand for China's renminbi will start to accelerate, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. morning, everybody. Welcome back. Well, let's just wrap up what the month looks like as a whole then. As we come to the close uh, for the month, uh, as far as the US markets are concerned, the Dow managing to uh, put in 1.93%. Let's just roll the boards fairly quickly. Let's have a look at the S&P here. I mean, as far as the Dow is concerned, we're not very far away from all-time highs. We're not that far away either in terms of the S&P here. As we look at um, what was a modest gain compared to some of the recent months we've had of a half of 1%. Let's just show you uh, what the NASDAQ did here. Um, And this is the interesting part, isn't it? 1.53% weaker month to date here as the NASDAQ has been a mild casualty of some of the rotation away from growth into cyclicals, betting, of course, that we continue to get this um, uh, rebound in economic activity globally, but particularly in the United States. And the dollar, let's just show you the dollar. Well, weaker dollar has been the trend across the month here. 
4% lower in terms of the dollar index. But what do the charts tell us about where we go next here? Sometimes I think it's worth just delving in to some of the uh, charts to find out if we can pull out something about the mid to interim trend. Roloff van den Acker joins us, Senior Technical Analyst at ING. Roloff, good morning to you. Let, let's start good off morning, with Jim. that. Let's start off with that S&P then, because obviously um, we we have had some difficult weeks. What do you think the the broader trend tells us now? Yes, it has been a bull run, the March lows uh, of 2020 last year. Um, And uh, I believe there's some upside potential on a short-term basis, uh, looking at this uh, longer-term trend channel of the past 12 years, since uh, the low of March 2009. Um, We are approaching the upper end of this rising trend channel, and that's next month coming in around 44.60. So I believe there is upside potential left for another 5%, but the message of this chart is clear. We are entering the final stages of this bull run, and we should sell on strength towards the upper end of the channel before we should see a normal and healthy correction uh, let's say for at least 4,000, but more likely 36, 40 or so, uh, uh, just as a, as a normal pullback within the longer term of trend. Yeah, what, what, what's your conviction like on the timing of that move? Can you give us any firm idea of dates? Yeah, normally you, you see that uh, as a seasonality, that um, the, 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 the summer months are somewhat weaker. So I would say, it would be perfect if we would see a short-term move to the upside, let's say within the next few weeks, where let's say 100 to 150 points to the upside in making this stop, and then um, into June, July, uh, somewhat uh, larger correction as we have seen before within, uh, within, uh, within the S&P 500. Let's move you on to the dollar uh, and let's have a look at uh, where next for the greenback, because I think um, a lot of people trying to uh, read the greenback as a proxy for what other risk assets will do in emerging markets and around commodities. Have we come to the end of this uh, phase for dollar weakness or does it continue? Uh, I would say on a short term basis, probably. Because uh, if you look at the uh, longer-term weekly chart, there's uh, uh, solid and crucial horizontal support coming in around uh, 88.50. And this level has not been tested yet. And um, it could be tested within uh, within the coming weeks. Um, but I would say it's somewhat too early to expect a, a, a breakdown below this crucial horizontal support uh, on a short-term basis. And uh, let's assume that the S&P will correct some kind of risk-off in the markets then I, I would believe that it's always accompanied with the strength within the US dollar uh, when we will see this risk off in the markets. But I believe the upside potential will be very limited to around 92, 92.50 before the next decline will start. And then we should see uh, in, in, in the second half of this year uh, a clear breakdown below the horizontal support at 88.50. Oh, Roloff, you've talked about the outlook for the S&P. What about U.S. tech stocks? Over the month of May, the Nasdaq underperformed broader U.S. markets. Where, where do you think U.S. tech goes from here? Yeah, um, Nasdaq has always been the leader within the equity market. So it's already uh, signing here that it's uh, that it's in its final stages, that it's running out of steam, this uptrend. And uh, Jeff already uh, said this rotation is going on in the markets, and that's what we are currently seeing. So 
um, we could see some um, some outperformance of the S&P against the Nasdaq 100 index. But I believe that on the way down, the tech stocks will lead as well. So weakness within the, within the tech stocks is uh, is is already um, the, the the signal here, and uh, we should see this in the in, in the June and July month. And what about Europe versus the U.S.? If you talk about rotation, Europe obviously looks best placed from a fundamental perspective, uh, given its uh, overexposure to value cyclical sectors. What about from a technical perspective? You mean uh, Europe versus uh, the U.S.? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find this a difficult story because uh, in the past 10 years, Europe always uh, underperformed the U.S. within the equity markets. We could see kind of a temporarily um, uh, outperformance of Europe against uh, the U.S., but if we would see a correction, I, I, couldn't be, I cannot believe that Europe will outperform the U.S. within this correction. So they probably you, uh, Europe will decline uh, less, less than the U.S., but um, I don't think that uh, Europe can... Uh, has that has that strength to do it uh, do it uh, on its own? So it's only temporarily outperformance, but on a longer term, I would say Europe will underperform the US definitely. And the critical question, I think, for everybody, Roloff, and it re- relates uh, effectively um, on a fundamental level to inflation. But what do the charts tell you about the direction of travel for the ten-year Treasury yield? Yeah, we we, we saw a, a very strong rise within the, the yield um, from from the lows uh, at 50 basis point last year. Um, and normally what you see is um, is that these uh, uh, rises are pretty violent and that's what we saw right now as well. But it's good to put this uh, longer this long this rise within a longer term perspective and then it's very interesting that the, the 35 year declining trends uh, within the monthly chart is still is still in place. And um, this trend channel has the upper end of this trend channel comes in around 265 basis points. On the short term basis, we will see uh, strong horizontal resistance coming in between 195 to 200 basis points. And if we would see a risk off in the markets, then it's logical that we could see some um, uh, attract in buying uh, the, the, the US Treasury. But I would say the downside potential would be very limited. 150 basis points could be uh, the next higher bottom. And from there, we should see, to my opinion, the next uh, strong rise within the yield. And then we could see the upper end of this, a test of the upper end of this 35-year falling trend channel around the 265 basis points, 265 basis points, just in a test. And it's interesting to see that it's still within the longer-term downtrend. Uh, um, What's the time frame on that, Roloff? Yeah, I would say in general that, that the risk on in the markets would be um, very strong in, in the second half of this year. And then it would be logical, to my opinion, that you would see a boost in commodities uh, and that should be accompanied with a, with a rise within the yield, of course. So I would not be surprised by um, testing the upper end of this channel by the end of this year, coming in around 265 base points, as mentioned. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.